Hey Conjugate Chat friends, this is Mike Cunningham from Gill Athletics and I need your help. Or maybe I need to help you. See, we have a crap ton of rubber bumper plates and other weight room items that we need to clearance. We need to clear them out of our factory. That's right, a crap ton. That's the official measurement. All offers will be considered. Email me at mcunningham at gillathletics.com to see the full list and check out the show notes right here on Conjugate Chats for a link to see the items and my email address. Thanks, everybody, and stay strong. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Before going into the episode, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode and uh, taking the time to sit down and just listen in on what we got going on here on the podcast today. Uh, a couple of things before we get going into the episode is uh, I want to do a couple ad reads for our sponsors, starting with the DOYSC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength conditioning. Whether that's CSCS prep, GA or internship opportunities, or even live discussions, they are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I'll put the link to the Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with the elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team Builder is also full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. Please be sure to sit back listen in and enjoy this episode of the conjugate chats thank you and welcome back to another episode of the conjugate chat i'm your host john mark raspberry current strength coach over at well Still job searching at the moment. I have on Coach uh, Joseph Garaccio over at FAU. Coach Garaccio, welcome to the Conjugate Chats, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, to start things off, man, let's go ahead and give a short synopsis about yourself. Where you're from, how'd you get into strength conditioning, where you're at right now, um, and everything in between. Gotcha. Um, been coaching 13 years now. Uh, got into it actually during my under, my undergrad, graduated from University of Sioux Falls. Um, you know, I was a typical meathead in high school that that loved training, and you know, got into to, to training early and and just trying to find ways to, to develop myself. And um, I got to college, and and I ended up going to junior college, College of Canyons. And uh, we had a strength coach, and I never even knew that was a position. Like you know, football coaches did it in high school for us, and. We didn't think anything of it, and I didn't know it was a, a true profession. And his name was Dos Remedios, and he did a great job and, and helped develop. And then he was like, "Yeah, you can do this for a living." So I started looking into it. I was a freshman. I started looking into it when I was a freshman in college. I ended up realizing you need to get an exercise science degree or kinesiology or something along those lines. Um, you know, end up playing ball in college, 
uh, did an internship my junior year at Velocity you know, that summer. And then as soon as I graduated, I wanted to uh, actually intern here at Florida Atlantic about now, you know, 12, 12 years ago now. And, um, you know, they look back, I ended up doing a GA ship and I, uh, I did another internship at LSU um, and actually got a, a, a call back to be the head guy at the, the place I did my GA ship at Northwestern State which is a, is a unique route. It's a different route than most people go. Uh, I definitely wasn't ready for that position at that time. And I mean, I was like 23. I think there was like a, like 12 or 14 kids damn near the same age as me on that team. And um, But it was a great learning experience. And then uh, I spent two and a half years there. Got to Ole Miss. I was there four years. And I was at Colorado State for two. Um, and now I'm at FAU going into my fourth season. Awesome, Coach. That's uh, that's again a very unique route into going to strength and conditioning. Not many people at 23 years old are going to a very much of a, of a uh, le- leadership position, man. So uh, very much props to you and you know everything that you're doing for the field of strength and conditioning right now. Appreciate that. Absolutely. So um, I I was listening to the Moffitt method, your episode with the Moffitt method with uh, Tommy Moffitt, and you talked about technology a lot inside of that episode. So what kind of technologies are you like implementing into your system right now? I think the, the, the two biggest ones is VBT and then uh, GPS. So, um, you know, we use VBT to help. I'd say like this, like we, we're a percentage-based program, but it's a shotgun approach, meaning like we're going to get really close to the target. With VBT, it allows us to be snipers. So, like, we want to make sure that we're dead set and we, we hit, we're hitting the velocities and the lows that accompany those velocities head on. So we use a ton of VBT. Uh, we have VMAX. We have VMAX Pro. Um, I like it a lot. We have 16 iPads that go up on all our racks, and they connect directly. It's, a, it's an accelerometer, and it's a magnet that sits right on the bar. Um, and we use it in a whole bunch of different ways. We use it not only to, to correct if we're off on load uh, prescription on that day, but we also look for uh, increased rate of force development, increase um, maximal strength. You know, we've gotten away from 1RM testing with some of our major pillar strength exercises. We still, like, I'll still clean max and, 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 and do some things too maximal. But for us, it's a, uh, with the VBT, it's an easy way. If we hit 90% and we can see, all right, if they're in that 0.45 to 0.5 range, then they're, they're strong, like that's still their 90. If they're above that, that means that their 1RM has not gone up. So we, we, we found a way to kind of create a, a sliding scale based off the velocity hit at 90% to get um, new updated maxes because we don't chase maxes. We, we use maxes for training. I just want to get closer with, with our percentage. Um, and then, like I said, with the rate of force development training, uh, we, we, what we do is we, we put 95 pounds on the bar and we measure their velocity. If they're able to move the velocity faster, that means that their their rate of force is increased. So that's what we use our VBT for. And then we um, we use GPS. And you know, just like probably every other university, uh, you know, that has the funding and resources for it, we have Catapult. <laughs> Excuse me. I love it. Um, you know, I've I've now had a form of GPS since 2014. Uh, at Ole Miss, we had um, Zephyr, which was terrible. And then uh, at Colorado State, we had Polar, which was pretty good. And now here, we've had Catapult for years. So just accumulating all that data 
having that database for us now and 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 the ability to to cross-reference things, to look at velocities, to look at change direction, to look at impacts, to look at decelerations, like all these different things, not only from a, a, a volume standpoint, but from a performance standpoint, has really been a game changer for us. I remember the first time I ever put a GPS on a kid at practice and we got the total yardage back. And I was sitting, I was working for Coach uh, Paul Jackson at Ole Miss. And I remember it was like a receiver and he got like almost like 7,000 yards. And like at that point in time, our highest threshold for conditioning in a session was like 1,500 or 1,600 yards. And I looked at Coach Jack and I was like, I think we need to run more. <laughs> like we're not, we're not even close, you know? And he was like, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> you know, so seeing some of these metrics and seeing how this game is – is so much different for each position is truly eye-opening when you look at the data because there's so many different demands based on the position. Like even our centers are different than our tackles. Like, so you think like an old lineman is an old lineman. Like, well, our centers run about a thousand yards less than our tackles do. You know, and our guards have about 30 to 40 more collisions, like significant collisions than our tackles do. So it's like you have to take all this stuff into consideration. Now, do you have to take it in consideration like what every single position, like a center guard, a tackle has a completely different workout? Absolutely not. But it, it has changed the way we program on my philosophy in a way where we mailbox guys now to where, you know, we're trying to meet the, those demands before they get to practice. We're trying to prepare them for those demands before they go to practice so that you have the ability to expose them to those potential stressors and those and and to me, that's the way you mitigate injury is, is small doses of these exposures over time, and then you you build up that reserve, and then that reserve allows you to go and bridge that gap to actual sport play. So if my receiver who ran seven thousand is accustomed to running six thousand with me, the ramp up in the first week of practice in camp, he should be fine. I shouldn't have to worry about it because I'm only worried about him getting extra accumulated maybe 500 to 1,000 yards more in a conditioning session, which is an hour compared to a practice, which is two and a half hours. You know, I don't have to worry as much. Okay, 500 yards to 1,000 yards ain't nothing. You know, so for me, it's about building up those reserves. And the only way to know that is is to look through the lens of that GPS and, and really decipher and break the game down to its, like, biomechanical basic level. And – know what your position groups are going through. Cause that's, that's like my main philosophy is to adapt and thrive in practice. The only way to do that is to know what, what's going on in practice. And it's not the same. It's not the same. As soon as you, I mean, our slots, our receivers like that, those are receivers, but their positions are different. You know, running backs are different. Linebackers are different. Like, so programming conditioning has really changed for me and, and taken a dramatic change. The implementation of deceleration training has been used based off these findings. Um, a yard accumulation throughout the week has been big for me. So I'm not necessarily going to try to hit 10,000 yards in the conditioning session, but, you know, if in our normal practice week, we're getting roughly 21 to 22,000 yards total with our skill guys. I need to make sure I'm close. And then really the high speed yardage is where it is, is the critical piece. Like we get way more high speed yardage in a week than we do in the season. And that's by design. Because if we're able to handle 3,000, 4,000 yards of high speed yard, 16 plus mile an hour running, then when we get to practice, when they only get 
a thousand or two thousand in the entire week, they're able to recover from that. And I think that's really where we've had our success when you when you you pair that with our deacceleration training with the the lack of soft tissue injuries we have. Like we went through this entire spring, we had zero non-contact injuries, zero concussions, and zero soft tissue injuries. And you can you can if you don't believe me, call my trainer Bill Sanders. You know, like he'll he'll give you the numbers. And I think a lot of that has to do with you know the fact that we are building up reserves and we are building up past the demands of what practice is asking of these kids, and they're able to handle it at a much a more efficient rate. And they're able to recover from it because they have higher reserves. And I think the GPS really was eye-opening in that, in that, you know, that epiphany for me, at least. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm speaking as a high, high school strength coach right now. And uh, most of the audience that listen to this podcast are high school strength coaches as well. We're starting to t- kind of turn that corner of implementing things like BPT and um, – GPS into the high school setting. We're learning more and more about it every single day. Is there any trends or any like data that really surprised you when you got that data back? Like, is there any trends from you were saying like the difference between your center and your tackles? You know, the mileage was different between those two athletes. Was there anything else that really shocked you or surprised you when you got that data back? Yeah, I, I believe it or not, our D line and O lineman had the most change of direction. In a practice, it was like almost three times the amount of what our receivers did. Now, the receivers are stopping and changing direction at like 13 to 17 miles an hour. So it was extremely significant in terms of uh, deaccelerational forces. But our O linemen and D linemen are changing direction up to like 250, 300 times in a day, which is insane. And the difference is between, you know, our skill guys are 13 to 17 miles an hour. Or D lineman, O lineman are five to nine miles an hour. So I think that was very, very eye opening because it just it really kind of reinforced short area quickness. It reinforced um, conditioning in a way that's going to promote and match those numbers for change of direction and deacceleration. Because I'm like, all right, like I'm not worried about an O lineman opening up and pulling a hamstring. I'm worried about an O lineman you know, getting a calf strain or a hip flexor strain or a groin strain, like because they're not accustomed to that much change of direction. Because you look at everything they do is a, is a slide or or a push or you know it's 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 very multiplanar, you know. So that was that was extremely eye opening. And then like I said, just the 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 difference in high speed yardage. Like our receivers, man, they average like two hundred to two hundred fifty yards high speed yardage every practice, you know. And that you're talking about sixteen plus mile per hour, and roughly it's probably average right around eighteen to nineteen miles an hour when they take really take off and drive. And to me, that's like, all right, like we have to make top, top, uh, top speed running a priority. We already kind of, we already did, but I was like, it was, it was good to get the reinforcement and be like, okay, like we got to make sure these guys' mechanics are on point because if we're backside, if that foot's landing in front of that center mass and we're running this much high speed, like we're asking for issues. We're asking for hamstring issues. We're asking for problems. And, um, you know, that's something that we attack and we still, we, we train it in season as well. Like we hit wickets pre-practice. Like that's one of our final things for the receivers to warm up is just to reinforce good mechanical positions with top speed running. Absolutely, coach. And you kind of talked about a little bit, um, your speed program and your change of direction program. And we see it on social media a lot, uh, particularly, you know, Twitter and, um, you know, for high school coaches like myself and a lot of others, we appreciate you, you know, 
being transparent with your program, seeing exactly what you're doing at FAU. So talk to us and walk us through like your change of direction program and your speed program, because I think that's a lot that um, high school coaches, uh, whether they're strength coaches or not, could get a lot out of is <coughs> understanding your why behind the change of directions and the speed program that you implement. Yeah, so I look at it. There's there's four locomotion demands of football. Okay, you got acceleration, deacceleration, change of direction, and maximum velocity running. But however you break the game up, those four components are always happening. Okay, so to me, again, if I'm going to prepare them for the game, demands of the game, I got to make sure all four of those pillars are in my program. And not only do I need to expose them to extremely high intense versions of all four of those locomotions, I have to teach them, right? Because it's they are skills. Like, yeah, there's, there's capacities and there's abilities behind all of those like maximal strength, rate of force, all those different things. But they are skills that if you rehearse and if you, um, you train, they actually get better just based off of increasing your skill at that specific movement. So, like, if I train maximum velocity sprinting, I'm going to get better, okay, if I train w- with better technique. And that's a skill, right? So my skill improved at that. I should get better at that, at that skill without even – increasing rate of force development or stretch shortening cycle abilities. Okay, so what we're going to do is, is A, we're going to make sure that we teach the best, most efficient movement mechanics for all four of those locomotion demands. All right, so with acceleration, we're going to teach great acceleration angles. We're going to teach posture. We're going to teach great foot strike, great arm action, rhythm, all those different things, right? Like uh, it's been talked to death about. With top speed running, we're going to get front side. We're going to get front side. We're going to make sure posture's on point. We're going to make sure that we have great symmetry and rhythm with our arms and our legs. Okay, with deacceleration, which is literally the opposite of acceleration when you look in terms of technical. Like, we're going to make sure that we get, with acceleration, you want extension, extension, extension. That's all people talk about, right? Extension. Hip, knee, ankle. Some people even say spine, all, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. You want extension. Well, deacceleration is the opposite. Okay, I want flexion. I want flexion. I want my knee and hip flexion. I want ankle flexion. Um, so, again, we're teaching that, the technical side of deaccelerations, because you'd be shocked at how many non-contact injuries happen in a deacceleration state with a reaction component to it. Okay, and then change of direction. And, you know, deacceleration is, a, is the precursor to change of direction. So if you can't deaccel, if you can't decel well, you're not really going to change direction well. Okay, but there is four different types of categories of change direction, right? It's not just a 5-10-5. Okay, so what I look at it is I break it into four, four different subcategories. You got 90-degree cuts, you got 45-degree speed cuts, you got 180-degree or full reversal deep cut, and then you got maneuverability, which is curve linear running. Okay, so that's how we're going to train those four, and each four of those has a specific technique to it. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to map out our week in a way that promotes increasing performance in all those. So early on in the offseason, we have Monday and Thursday are performance days. So we'll have acceleration and some change of direction mechanics on that day. On Thursday, we'll have some maximum velocity and deacceleration mechanics on that day. And the reason why we pair those is because acceleration is a component of deacceleration. Okay. It's a very, very similar 
mechanical stress to the tissue to your to your your body. So we want to make sure again the, the water's clear. I always say I don't want any murky water. When we have specific training objectives, we're hitting them. Okay. On Thursday, there's an extremely high eccentric stress, mechanical stress that comes along with maximum velocity running and the high intensity decelerations. So we pair those two together. Same thing with the curve linear run. There's a higher eccentric demand. So that's why we do it on Thursday. Okay. My other two days, my Tuesday and my Friday, are support days. That's where we get a lot of our uh, yardage accumulation. And we get that through uh, your, your, your basic tempos at first, but then we move into more what we call practice prep, which is agility stations that are really small sided games where it's, it's, you know, tracking, evading, um, specific pattern runs, all these different things. And, and we try to increase the agility component of it by adding in more, more reactionary components and obstacles to it as well. Um, so we'll roll that model for four weeks. And then what we'll do is, is we'll get into a five day model where now we add we have acceleration Monday. We have our support day Tuesday. We have maximum velocity Wednesday, support day Thursday, and then Friday is our change of direction day slash decel day. And we'll train it. Like I said, our, our decel and change direction days are very much track style practices. Like I'm coaching, I'm teaching, and then we're implementing. And then we're coaching, we're teaching, we're implementing. And we're building out the, uh, the learning progressions from uh, session to session. So from week one to week six is a learning curriculum that I'm trying to get through. There's a progression for drills that I'm trying to get to. I'm not just saying, okay, hey, I only want to do 90-degree cuts, so we're just going to do 90-degree cuts. No, we're teaching it. We're teaching them how to roll through that inside foot on the plant. We're teaching them all these different things, and we're building out that model. And then we get more specific as we start to add in competition, testing, and then, you know, opponents. Okay, Coach, a couple of things on that. Um, when we're talking about like the, G the GPS units and stuff like that, you told you talked to us about like offensive linemen, defensive linemen get more change in direction than your skill guys. So, do you change the program and your change of direction to you know increase change of direction for your O line, D line guys, or how does that work out for y'all? So we change just the distance of the drill. So, like if we do an S run, my skill might make that a thirty yard drill. My big guys, it might only be a 12-yard drill. So you control the intensity and you control the speed of the drill by the distance. Okay, so I could get way more reps of that drill. I could get three to four times more reps of that drill with my big guys, right? In that, say if I got a five-minute station, I can get 12 to 13 reps of that drill with my big guys versus I'm getting four to five with my skill. And now what's happening is that balance is, is happening, right? Like our skill guys are still accumulating more yardage. They have more high-speed yardage, okay? But my big guys are actually getting more change of direction in that drill when you, when you compare the two. You know, same thing with like a 90-degree cut. Like our big guys, we could just do it every three yards and do a 90-degree, like basically your chair pattern, right? Like your, your maze, just to work, 90-degree cut. Okay, my skill guys, maybe it's just two cuts, but they're 12 yards apart. So I run 12, cut, run another 10, cut, you know, and then I finish with a 12-yard burst. Like, that's – they're still getting the same locomotion demands. They're just getting different mechanical stresses. And I'm able to, to get more reps if the drill is shorter because we're able to cycle through it faster. Awesome, Coach. And uh, the small-sided games that you were talking about, are those things like that you preset or is it things like an open environment for them to 
you know, and they're in the drill, and then they have to think and react, uh, kind of like what you're talking about. So is it like that, or is it more like a close uh, drill where it's just a start and stop? All right, it's, it's open. So what we try to do is, is we try to look at different scenarios in game. So like, especially when I, I like to think of different scenarios of evading and tracking. Okay, so like an easy drill that, that we, you know, that everyone's probably done is like your, your rabbit chase or your mirror drill, right? Like you got one guy in the middle, he could shuffle and change direction whenever he wants. He just has to stay in the shuffle and everyone has to stay on his hip. And then they finish a drill, you know, after, you know, five to seven seconds. Well, we build upon that. So what we want to do is, is we want to get closer to specific scenarios in the game. So like we have a drill where it's a sideline tackle. All right. So my receiver's running down the sideline. He has about a five yard box off the sideline that he can navigate in. My, you know, my corner or DB or linebacker is in front of him and out 10 yards to the side of him. And he's got to take that inside hip, that near hip. He's got to track it, okay, and get to that inside hit before that receiver reaches the goal line, which is roughly around 25 yards away. Okay, so that's a good example right there. Another one is, is we do uh, reverse tackle. So two guys start in a 10-yard box. They're facing each other on the whistle. They turn and run behind them around a cone, and then they get into back into the box, and now that is a small area tackle. Okay, so it's a 10 by 10, so it's enough for the offensive player to make a wiggle and move and to try to evade, and it's, it's small enough to where we can control it and confine it and make sure that we're still getting what we want out of it without getting all the high-speed yards and putting them in a, a sideline tackle scenario like we talked about with the drill before. So we implement all of these in there, and I try to find more creative ways and entries into it. Like we have a, a hoop uh, tackle drill, so we're like they both start on a hoop run, and then they enter a space where now it's open and they got to go and the guy's got to go tag off in his hip and the other guy's trying not to get touched. You know, so so still trying to take those those locomotion demands of change of direction and finding unique ways to add it into um, an entry for an open tackle drill or an open tracking drill. Awesome, coach. And you were talking about the decelerations. Uh, honestly, that's done through um, things like eccentric loads that uh, players need to go under. Um, you you got to have a strong eccentric strength in order to break correctly, in order to handle those loads. So what are you doing to um, build that eccentric strength in your athletes? Obviously, it's one, it will be the weight room, um, you know, going and almost doing tempos inside the weight room, right? Eccentric, slow uh, contractions um, in the weight room as well. So what else are you doing in there as well? So it doesn't, so I used to think like that as well. Like, you know, I read Triphasic in 2014 and, you know, I, and everyone got hooked on that. And um, Cal Deese is awesome because he's been a huge resource for the entire community of strength and condition. He's been amazing. But I always thought if it's a specific strength, just like concentric, why can't you surf the, the force velocity curve just like you would concentric? Okay, so you can't just limit yourself to slow lowering. Right, because the slow lowering part increases peak force, eccentric peak force. Okay, but what about the rate of force? Because that's really where, no matter how you break it down, rate of force is going to be the difference between an average athlete and an elite athlete, whether it's concentric, eccentric, or isometric. The rate of force is going to be the difference. All right, and I'm not just saying that. That's backed by research by Zaworski. You know, he talks about it in science and practice all the time. Okay, the 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 
upper world-class athletes had higher rates of rate of force development. That's what they had. That's what separated them. So for me, it's you have to train rate of force development eccentrically as well as concentrically. You have to train peak force eccentrically as concentrically. So when we talk about training eccentric rate of force development, that's going to be weighted snap downs. That's going to be altitude drops. Okay, those are going to be things that put that where we're going from an extended position to a rapid flexion as fast as humanly possible. All right, like uh, Strong by Science, Max Marsley just had like a post, I think, yesterday about, you know, he was just showing like the difference between a slow dip and a squat versus a fast drop down. And like what he was on a force plate. And the, the, the force time curve didn't, didn't even look the same. Right. It looked like two different, complete different exercises. So it became a different exercise. So understanding that, like, you know, definitely changed my philosophy on how to train the eccentrics inside the weight room. So however you can get into a deep flex position fast, whether it's dumbbells pulling you down, uh, weighted dumbbell snap downs, whether it's a trap bar snap down, whether it's a band snap down, whether it's band uh, accentuated jumps with the band pulling you down. Like, you know, people used to clown Vertimax all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, the bands, you know, you know, by the time you get in the air, they're, they're, there's no more force pulling you down. Well, people didn't realize that they're pulling you fast to the ground. So your eccentric rate of your eccentric peak force and eccentric rate of force, your collision with the ground was insane. So that's a lot of the reason why they had a lot of success training that. Now, I don't know if they knew that, you know, I don't know if, if Vertimax was selling it that way. But that's actually what was happening was, is they're increasing eccentric forces and the ability to, to navigate and handle more eccentric force. Because whatever you can load, you can explode with. Okay. And, and here's the thing is the stress, stress shortening cycle is so powerful. So if I'm able to make that rubber band, my muscle, not only thicker and tougher, okay, that means I'm going to get way more snapback and that the thickness of it is going to protect me. Okay, from a lot of injuries. So for me, it was like, okay, how do we find that? And then we got in the altitude drops, and I went down a rabbit hole with that. Um, I know people get clowned for, you know, box step-offs because they're doing it off a 12-inch box. I get that. For us, you know, it led me to, to heights above super maximum of what vertical jumps were. Because I'm like, okay, if I can do a vertical jump in place and land, I don't need a box to step off to get a training stimulus, right? But now... I want to get up to 40 inch, 42 inch. Or, I mean, some of our guys even get to up to 46 inches and they handle it with ease and they don't complain. We don't, we, I mean, we don't have tendonitis and all those other things that accompany that. Um, and knock on wood, we haven't had any catastrophic injuries, you know? And I think that once you start to increase that eccentric rate of force development, you really open up Pandora's box on what you can produce from a concentric rate of force development side. You know, I, I think the biggest thing I saw jump because we did some statistical analysis. Like, we literally sent all our data out to our math department here at FAU and had them run statistical analysis on it, like a whole bunch that are way above my head, right? And what they found was a huge correlation between stopping power, so when we, we did our eccentric or our, our D-cell testing, and then what they saw was a huge correlation between that and our vertical jump, which was insane to me. Cause, and it was like, okay, that's kind of eye-opening. Like, if I'm able to load faster, I'm able to cycle through the stress shortening cycle faster and jump higher. So, um, you know, it, it's that's where the essential rate of force development training came into play. And you could be as creative as you want. You could be single leg, you could be split stance, however you want to get it done. You know, you can make it as specific as you want, uh, you know, as long as there's an overload stimulus to it. 
You know, you can't just do snap downs and think, you know, body weight and think you're going to get the job done. There has to be an overload stimulus to it. Um, and then with the eccentric peak force, it's going to be exactly what you talked about, the, the control lowering. You know, and then that led us down to the rabbit hole to ALE and Dr. Waggle um, and what super training, you know, is super maximal training. And what we do is, you know, if you don't have weight releases, if you have safety bars, you can do it pretty safely. Um, but is, you know, a 100% plus lowering of, you know, whatever your knee dominant favorite squat variation is. You know, so like with our skill guys, we do Bulgarian split squat. And it's 100 plus pound or 100% plus, you know, like next week we'll be at 110%. And they're lowering, you know, that, that weight down. No hands down with the safety bar, the Hatfield style, like the bar set up for Hatfields. No hands on the way down. And then we grab the bar and able to come up because we know that with a Hatfield style squat, you're able to have 130, 140% of your 1RM back squat. But if your hands are off on the way down, you're getting the super maximal effect of it. So some ALE training has been used for us. Um, we found a bunch of ways to do it. I mean, you could do it with RDLs if you have partners that stand on the side. You can do it with back squat. You can do it with split squat, whatever. Again, whatever your flavor is, whatever you like to do, um, you can do it. I've done it with, with press where we push press up and then we control lower down. And I can't tell you how, like, how big of an effect it had in our overhead pressing strength because that's one of our main upper body exercises. And it's like, man, guys, guys, maxes and one arm presses just jumped. It was insane to watch. And it was just like, they're, you know, their shoulders are growing. They're like, I'm like, whoa. All right, we're going to keep this in the program for a while. You know, so again, like once you understand the mechanics of what you're trying to do, it's, it's pretty simple to build out the complexity of it. Awesome, coach. And, you know, there's always a time and place for both peak force and eccentric ray of force development as well. <laughs> um, so how do you progress both those things in, in your program? Yeah, so what, what we're going to do is we're just, I believe in a vertical integration model, meaning like if it's important, you train it year round. All right. So no matter what, we're going to train concurrently. There's going to be both rate of force and peak force training involved in there. Now, depending upon the year and depending upon the level of athlete, they just might get different doses of it. So if I have a higher level athlete, like I got a kid that's been with me four years, you know, and I had him since he's a baby, since he's a freshman. Um, and he's an extremely, when I mean extremely strong kid, I mean extremely strong, like, you know, four, four ten bencher. And he's, a, and he's, he's only about 245 pounds. You know, he's a 550 squatter, cleans 355. Like, he's hitting high levels of peak force already. Like, his, his peak force levels are high. So, for me to keep chipping away at peak force when I can still train it and still get improvements in it, but spend more time on rate of force. Okay, it's going to be more advantageous for me to do that with that kid, knowing that, all right, like, I got to transfer all of this maximal strength to the time frames of the game of the game. And here's the thing, like, we broke down, like, every single pillar of football movement you can think of, like, positionally. So, like, a back pedal, a kick slide, a tackle, a block. All right, the game of football is played under 300 milliseconds. Okay, and according to research, in order to, to, to sum up maximal strength, you need 500 milliseconds. Okay, so the game is is rate of force development dependent. All right, so again, I think there comes a point where, yeah, if the kid comes in and he's a V4 engine and he only got 120 horsepower, like, 
We need to make this kid, you know, at least a V6. All right, like, let's get this thing cranked up. But there, there comes a point with every single athlete where the question becomes, it's not necessarily, I hate the question, is he strong enough? Is he strong enough to be fast enough is the question I think that needs to be asked. Okay? Because if they're not increasing their rate of force development, then you have to figure out, is it because they're not doing enough, you know, explosive twitchy things, or are they not strong enough to handle their own body weight and relative body strength is too low? Okay? Because, you know, we, you get the argument all the time, like the elite sprinter that weighs 160 pounds and can barely squat his body weight, okay, but he still runs 9'7". Right. And then you get the guy that, you know, who squats three, you know, 2.5 times his body weight and he's slow as hell and his vert sucks. And you're like, well, what, you know, what's the deal? All right. And that's to me where you have to be extremely knowledgeable as a coach and decipher that and figure that out. So, like, our freshmen are going to get a heavier dose of peak force development, even though they're still getting trained rate of force development as well. They just get more volume prescription. Okay, and then once we start to see adequate relative body strength levels, okay, and we start to see those peak force numbers reach specific thresholds, I'm not like super crazy about standards and benchmarks because each person is different. Um, but once they reach, you know, certain levels, I'm like, okay, now we need to increase our rate of force development training. Or as we get closer to season, we have to increase our rate of force development training to get transfer and prepare them. So it goes back to that. So to me, it's just about concurrently training. Like, I got a nine-year-old son. You guys probably, if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen videos of him. Like, he gets a ton of rate of force development training, even though he's not, right? Like, and, and I know I'm the strength coach, and I've been coaching him since he's four, and so his, his movement patterns are a lot cleaner than a lot of not, most nine-year-olds, right? But at the same time, there's no reason in the world I can't maximize um, his ability to be explosive and twitchy Okay, because kids go through different maturation processes. Like nine right now, like is he's super sensitive to to motor control. So like for whatever reason, like I think it was like nine to eleven was what I read. Is like their ability to pick up on foundational movement patterns is at an all time high. So it's like okay, like why not do more twitchy fast things and reinforce good technical patterns and get him moving the right way now, knowing that it's going to stick longer. Right, that's going to be the foundation. Um, and then if your kid plays sports, like they're going to get exposed to fast stuff anyway. So might as well make them prepared for it. You know, kids don't get hurt jogging. They get hurt, you know, jumping, running, cutting, hitting. You know, so I might as well train them for those as well. You know, kids don't go to playgrounds no more. And I, and I hate when people attack like, oh, they're training young kids differently now. Well, young kids don't play. All right, I'm, I'm not going to set up a jungle gym in, in my in my in my weight room and have my kid just run and jump around like I like it's different like it's different times, you know. I spend all the time at the park jumping off things all kinds of crazy ways. Like kids nowadays don't do that. They don't even go outside and play no more. You know, like I live in a neighborhood. So I'm lucky to see one kid out a day, you know. And then you know my, I drive HOA crazy because my son's out in front shooting basketballs or throwing baseballs at my wall or something all day, you know. But you have to train them differently now. Because it is different, right? And I will say this as well. There's more, there's more adequate and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Ready coaches available as well. Like when I was a kid, like I had no, like if I wanted to go, even in high school, if I wanted to learn about speed training, like there was one guy in like 
a hundred square miles that knew it, like actually knew about speed training. And it was usually like a former track guy. Okay. Nowadays, like, I mean, you Google speed training and you'll probably get 15 different hits within a 20 square mile area. You know, so same thing with Olympic lifting, same thing with powerlifting, same thing with all these things that a lot of these kids are that are younger now are getting into. You know, and to me, I, I just, why waste time? You know, like we say slow cook all the time, but then what happens when you slow cook them, you slow cook them and they get no experience with high speed running, they get no experience with Olympic lifting and all these different things, but then they have to go play tackle football when they're 10. You know, so again, I, it's, to me, it's, you just got to make sure they're getting the right amount of volume and prescription for that. I think that's the key element. And then you have to be able to find coaches or be a coach that can teach that at a high level and make sure that you're not just throwing load for load's sake. Like my son's never maxed out. He's never maxed out. There's no reason to max him out, right? Like he's like nine. Like what am I going to, I'm going to boast about a, a, a 95 pound clean. Like, oh, cool. He's nine. Like, you know, there's some six-year-old in China, some female girl probably that does that right now. You know, like it's not, it's not, a, it's, it's not about bragging. It's about long-term development. And I think, you know, when you do teach them and you expose them to it, I think long-term it sets them up. I know when I get guys that come to my room, I can tell their training age and the guys with the higher training age acclimate so much better. Okay, so much better because they're able to, you know, they understand the movement patterns. They're able to understand and tolerate the, the, the training load and all those different things, and they do such a better job. Like, I got a tight end that walked in the door, and he's a monster. Like, he's from Georgia. He was well-coached. And the kid cleaned 335 in high school, and it's pretty. You know, like, I'm not going to spend six weeks slow-cooking this kid. Like, why would I do that? When he's a tank, like, he's 235 pounds. I think he had, like, 7% body fat. You know, like, he's a monster. So, I, I get it's always a load prescription equation like how much do they need and then you got to figure out how to apply that so i'm sorry that's a long answer to a short question no you're all good coach uh, a couple of things i do want to hit on there uh one talk about how kids nowadays don't really go outside and play um and on the education side of this because i've been a teacher the last three years going to my fourth year of teaching and i mean Physical education is has gone to the point of well we're just going to roll out the balls you know the balls the basketballs dodgeballs whatever and just let them play you know they're not teaching them in a public school now I can't speak for every single school as well I just speak from you know the, the last three years of Wasing and you know my high school experience as well you know mm -hmm. uh, it's not it, you know nowadays it's just roll the balls out play dodgeball play basketball do you know maybe write you know write definitions down in a textbook get 90 get 100 go home you know take attendance whatever and physical education i think in the high school realm needs to be a little bit different in that sense because like you're not teaching them how to take care of themselves even past high school you know you're you're just letting them play ball and then going home which there's a time and place for everything but you know i think that high school kids need to learn how to be able to take care of themselves not just athletes but students all around so Kind of wanted to mention that because you, you talked about the uh, kids not playing nowadays. Kind of brought that up as well. So, um, and you're talking about slow cooking as well. You know, he had that tied in cleaning 330, man. I mean, yeah, there's no reason for 
and you want to slow cook them. And we do the same thing at the high school. You know, if a freshman can progress quickly and can adapt quick, quickly to our program, you know, we're not going to slow cook them. We're going to progress them at the rate that he's going, you know, uh, at the rate that they're going. You know, there's no sense of holding back if they have good quality movements and they can handle the loads that we prescribe for them. So. Uh, absolutely. Uh, kind of wrapping things up here. Um, I really want to ask this question because every coach does it. Uh, how do you refine your speed program and your strength program? So the first thing we do is we look at uh, injury trends. We want to make sure that we're addressing all those needs. Uh, then what we do is we sit down as a staff, and I tell all my staff to, to tear the program apart and tell them what they really like. And this could be from a, a efficiency standpoint, coaching standpoint, setup standpoint. It doesn't matter, right, like rep sets. I tell them, like, you know, tell me things you like, tell me things that we need to get better at. Um, and then what we do is we do a roundtable with that, and we audit that program. We also have, like I told you, statistical analysis. But we test a lot of things in training. We have a lot of data. Um, and we send it out. Like, so it's, you know, it's, it's non-biased. You know, because I can cook the books and say we're being, you know, we're, we're getting better at everything. Or I can be realistic with myself and say, okay, we got better in these four areas and we got worse in these two areas. Are we okay with that? You know, so for me, I think that's big is, is get the data analysis part of it. Uh, make sure you're looking at that, those numbers and, uh, you know, looking at any significant holes in your program. You know, I started doing deacceleration training because we had a rash of high ankle sprains. And, you know, it's, it's funny how, you know, that injury trend led to kind of a, you know, an aha moment for me with training a locomotion like deacceleration and how big of an impact it has in changing my program over the last three years. So, you know, I think it's extremely critical to self-audit. We don't wait all the way to the end of the year sometimes, too. Like, we, there's plenty of times where, you know, I'll, I'll self-audit a program like two, three weeks in, especially with feedback from what we're getting from data. And I don't like where we're trending from a, a, a VBT standpoint, from a velocity standpoint. Um, you know, I always weigh is an acute or chronic issue. You know, if we, we do really heavy squats and my guys jump like shit the next day, like, duh. That's acute versus, okay, like, we've kind of pulled back the reins a little bit, and it's week three, and they're still not popping back. Like, then there's some things that need to be talked about. So I think, for me, it's like, like you said, I, I think it's it's always a process of, like, you're playing Sherlock Holmes. You're always seeing, is your program doing good? Is your program doing bad? Um, I don't fall into the ego trap of always thinking everything we're going to do is working. You know, I think that's – that's narcissistic think you're that good of a coach like no one's that good of a coach everyone's going to have things that that work and doesn't work i think the good coaches find the things that don't work faster and they change them and fix them quicker i think that's where you really make your money um that's something that we strive to, to do here and i think uh, as coach you have to critically think and like you said the ones that can kind of critically think and get a solution to these problems or a solution to some of the, I guess, areas that you lack in in your program, you know, is where you make your money and, you know, you make your program better that way. So awesome job, Coach. Well, Coach, I want to thank you again for being on the podcast. And really, that's a, a lot of insight, a lot of knowledge being dropped in probably about, what, 40-ish minutes. So, I mean, I appreciate you taking the time and coming on here and everything, man. 
Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Please follow our social media platforms at Conjugate Chat Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also follow Coach Garagio on his social medias as well. In the name of strength, stay strong and have a day today. Before we end this episode here, I wanted to bring the light to something. Um, most people on here are either strength coaches or aspiring strength coaches. Um, for those that are aspiring strength coaches out there, um, I set up a Gumroad account, a uh, store even, to provide value back into the field of strength conditioning. Starting with, um, I have study guys on there uh, for anyone that's not past the CSCS or is going to take the CSCS. Um, these are study guys that I've developed over the last three years that I've used in my attempts to pass the CSCS and I wanted to bring that value here to our podcast. So if you will go to the link in the description of this episode, you'll see a link to my Gumroad in which you can purchase or just download for free um, the study guys for CSCS, a couple of my guides for in uh, in season training, and also um, a couple of our products in there as well. Again, thank you for listening in on the Conjuring Chats, and thank you for your continuous support.